So today we're going we're to circle back to a text we, we touched on briefly a couple weeks ago in our series, Awaiting the Already. We, we remind we went through the, the different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, looking at how they portrayed and handled the, the birth narrative of Jesus. And, and we, we touched a little bit on the story of the wise men, the story of the Magi. But we left a little bit of room for this epiphany story. So hear the word of the Lord. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, where is, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them, where is the Christ to be born? They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah. Because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd thy people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me so that I may too go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went. And look, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened their treasure chest and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. The Magi, the wise men, the kings, as some are called, they were astronomers. And in, in ancient, ancient times, astronomers were also astrologers. The, the two practices went hand in hand. And, and they would spend their time searching the heavens for signals, for signs. They believe that, that a significant event in the heavens mirrored a similarly significant event on the earth. And vice versa, a significant earth event would come later, perhaps, or before would come a heavenly event. The term magi is, is a Greek word that is for the Zoroastrian priests. They were of a different faith from Judaism or, or certainly from Christianity, which wasn't officially around yet. They were Zoroastrian priests, and, and they were neither kings nor wise men. They, many think that the title wise men may have come because of their skills in interpreting dreams and understanding astrology. And, and um, how many wise men were there, by the way? Yeah, most of our nativity sets have three, right? And they look like kings with crowns and 
There's, we don't, aren't told biblically where, how many wise men or how many magi there were. Um, I don't know if three just looked nice with the nativity set, it balanced it out or something, or you know, they have the three gifts, which kind of leads us to that there were three, three wise men, or at least three wise men that actually got there with their gifts. Maybe that some forgot to get a gift on the way in. Walgreens was closed or something on Christmas Eve. But um, so we, legend tells us these three wise men, but we don't really know. They were known for telling fortunes. They were, they were known for preparing daily horoscopes that went hand in hand with the, the science of the astronomy. And they were scholars of their day. They, they enjoyed very close access to the Persian emperor. And Zoroastrianism is one of the oldest religions in our world and is still active in parts of Iran today. And it was the official religion in Persia up until the advent of Islam. So it has its roots in Persia. And the primary prophet for this faith is named Zoroaster. So it's simply named Zoroastrianism. And they believe that he was miraculously conceived in the womb of a 15-year-old virgin. Sound familiar? It's not, it's not unusual for the ancient Mideast faiths to share some stories. Miraculously conceived in the womb of a 15-year-old Persian, Persian virgin. Say that a couple times fast. Like Jesus, he started his ministry at the age of 30 after he defeated Satan's temptations. And he predicts that other virgins around the world will conceive additionally divinely appointed prophets as history unfolded. And these priests believe that they could foretell these miraculous births by reading the signals in the stars. So like the Jews, the Zoroastrian priests were anticipating the birth of a true Savior. And they were, they were searching even beyond their own faith to all of the world. There's some really interesting different legends that go on about, about the Magi and uh, at some point, they kind of all break down biblically, but they're interesting to look at different legends and theories and traditions that the church has passed down for thousands of years. One is that there were these three magi. One was a very old magi. You kind of think, picture old white hair, long white beard, the wise, wise guy, you know. And then so he represented one generation. Then there was another very young uh, wise man clean-shaven, baby face. And then there was a dark-skinned wise man. Kind of symbolic to show the diversity of the entire known world. Ladies, I don't think there's, there aren't any wise women. They probably stayed home rather than making that long trek and said, you guys are crazy for going there. We're just going to stay put and take care of business. But for, for the... For that first century, it was the representation of that older man, the younger man, and the dark-skinned man was all of the known world, encompassing that they were representing the gospel bringing, being brought to the Gentiles beyond the Hebrews. So we've got the Magi, and, and, and Matthew, as we looked about a couple weeks ago, Matthew's 
gospel was written for a Hebrew audience. His, his target market was to, to get the people of Israel to believe that Jesus was, Jesus was the Messiah. But it's kind of interesting here in chapter 2, as we read those first 12 verses, there's not a Hebrew in sight. There's no Israelite in sight that recognizes Jesus as the king. We have these wise men from, from the Persian area. We have uh, Herod. Herod's the closest thing we get. Herod's a, Herod's a half-breed. He's, he's half-Jewish by conversion. Uh, Herod was uh, part of the uh, uh, Edomians who were in the country of Edom that was taken over by the Edomians. And then during the, between the two Testaments, between the Old Testament and New Testament, the Hasmoneans, the Hebrew Hasmoneans, uh, conquered Edom and conquered the Edomians and uh, made them become Jewish. So that's how, how Herod became Jewish. He was not Jewish by birth, but he's simply Jewish by conversion. So even Herod in here, who is seeking to go worship the king, is not truly Jewish. And, and, and Matthew is setting us up for a gospel that is reaching out beyond the bounds of the people of Israel. And then the star. The star has many different speculative theories, lots of debate about the star. Probably you guys may know some of this and are smarter about astronomy. It's never been anything that I've really been into. I never really understood the constellations or never took enough time to understand them. I could probably wrongly identify the Big Dipper probably. But a couple of years ago, I became fascinated. I don't know what, where I'd been all my life, but this, this object of this idea of the, these new supermoons, it's nothing I'd ever seen before or remember seeing before, but all of a sudden now I'm, I'm seeing these supermoons and I remember in Fort Myers a couple years ago, I was, we were coming out of our neighborhood, we turned right on the Cypress Lake Road, and, and the moon was there in its orange glory, as big as I'd ever seen it before. It looked like it was just down the block, and I could run and touch it. So I've not been interested in these different events, but that one got me fascinated and got me thinking about, wow, God's reminded of God's handiwork, God's creation. So these different theories are, there's, there's been maybe combinations and, and, and const of constellations and planets and lining up of planets, conjunctions and oculations, things that are smarter people than me know and understand, but that could give off a bright light perhaps that would have triggered this, but they, they break down in the different timings of when they might have occurred and, and versus what history we have. Some think it could have been Halley's Comet. Halley's Comet made an appearance around 11 BC, but that's a little bit too early for this scenario. Could have been a supernova, they think. But there's a lot of debate that what could have happened and to really give off this great light. So the bottom line is we almost have to kind of put that aside as, as, as readers of the text and, and see that uh, whatever it was that God used and science caused, this star to come alive, it was a signal and a guide for the Magi. A guide to, a, to an epiphany, a guide to a new discovery, a guide to a new illumination, 
a new revelation, a divine manifestation, an epiphany. The Magi were outsiders to Israel. In many ways, we are outsiders too. In another, very few of us, if any, are, are blood Hebrews here. We, we come by this family by a different route. We were outsiders to Christ, but Christ invited us to be insiders and be family, not by blood, but by loving God. So as I look beyond those kind of things of who the Magi were, what about the star and the gifts and everything, three things popped out for me on this text that I want to share with you this morning. The first is that this light that came, however it came, was a light for all. It was a light for all that signified belonging for all people and inclusion of all people. Our own baptismal vows, of which we've had the, the uh, privilege the last several weeks of having several baptisms in a row, our baptismal vows even, even uphold this, that it says, in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races. And we could continue to take that and, and genders and languages and, and whatever barriers or separations there are, we could continue to play that out. This, this light is for all, not just one people. Reminds me of uh, growing up uh, in the 70s. My parents bought a bunch of new furniture at Cane's, and we had this great new living room set that had a yellow couch with orange stripes, 70s, right? Went with our shag green carpet. And um, then we had, so we had this seating set, but then we had the complement of the, the white Formica coffee tables and end tables, Along, now this is the kicker, along with the white Formica enclosed RCA television with the clicker, click, 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 and we had the matching long sofa stereo too, you know. We were, we were top notch. I'm sure we you know, paid for it over many years probably. But we also had this lamp, which I've learned now is called an arc lamp because they're coming back into style, just like if I had that furniture, it would be probably worth something now. This arc lamp, and for me as, as, a, as, a, as a young boy, I thought this thing was ginormous. You know, it was, it was probably not as big, but I thought it was, you know, 10 feet draping. It came over that, that orange, ugly couch in the Formica furniture and, and plopped to kind of the light in the middle of the upper room. And it shone light across the whole living room. And that's when I think about this idea of light for all, that's the image of that that I get, is this, this arc light that drops into the middle of the world, in the middle of our lives, and shines light on everyone. So light for all is the first thing I thought about. The second thing is, is love for all. Love for all people. God, God came in the form of, of Jesus to live our lives, to experience our lives, to die for us as our Savior. And he did that. He brought this love, and it's, it's unmerited love. It's, there's nothing at all that we can do to earn this grace. There's no reason that we could possibly deserve this grace. This love is unmerited. It's kind of like if, if the teacher, if we earned a C or perhaps even a D or an F on the exam or the paper, but, but the teacher gives us an A. It's unmerited, we, and we can't do anything to earn it. 
And it's not conditional. It doesn't matter what we did last night or what we're going to do tonight or what we did last week or last month or 10 years ago. There's no conditions to it. It's the love of a father for his child, the perfect love of a father for his child. And no conditions, no merit. It's just simply love for all. And lastly, it's life for all. This light that comes gives us love, which then gives us life, which gives us eternal life. And and for us, theologically, as Wesleyans, we believe that this eternal life is not something that waits until we die. It's not this magic past that we have that as soon as we die, we ride the elevator or the escalator up to heaven, and then we begin our eternal life. Eternal life begins now, right here on this earth. That we say yes to Jesus and we become become companions and co-creators with Jesus to bring about God's kingdom, God's heaven, down here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that just about every week. That's our task. That's our role. Eternal life begins with us co-creating, partnering with Christ to bring his kingdom here on earth. This light that Jesus brings is, is born not from a star, but from a life. And that life was lived out in first century Palestine. But it's light... Its light still warns us and warms us even today. And that life, Jesus' life, was buried just outside the city of Jerusalem. Yet its resurrected light shines everywhere today. Shines without bounds, just like that antique arc light. And as Jesus would say years later, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. You see, friends, this, this light and this love and this life is for all, for all people. And whatever barriers we might put in place, of it, be it people that don't look like us or speak like us or earn the same amount of money as us or live in a different neighborhood from us or a different country from us or are of a different gender, Whatever the barrier that we can come up in our minds, and we all can come up with lots of different barriers to put in place, I believe that Jesus will come to us with every barrier we could put in place and say, no, it's a little further. No, it's a little further than that. You think it's here? No, it's further than that. To the point where there is no barrier at all. This light and love and life came for all people. And we see that in this simple little story, this Simple little Christmas story with the Magi coming from the east and the neat songs that come with it and the gifts that come with it and the Christmas pageant that comes with it. We see this light that guides, this light that signals. We see this love in the babe and we see this life that he gives us. Jesus' light and love and life are a signal and a guide. They were to the wise men, and they are to us today. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the, uh, the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, and, and we, we looked at how the, the phrasing that John uses and how, how the, the idea of the Word 
is Jesus. And I just couldn't help but think back as we talk about light and love and life and how it weaves right into this scripture that opens the Gospel of John. So let's read that together. Would you join me? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the Word, and without the Word, nothing came into being. What came into being through the Word was life, and the life was the light for all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness extinguished the light. True light that shines on all people was coming into the world. The light was in the world, and the world came into being through the light. The world did not recognize the light. The light came into his own people, but his own people didn't welcome him. But those who did welcome him, those who believed in his name, he authorized to become God's children, born not from blood, nor from human desire or passion, but born from God. The Word became flesh and made his home among us. We have seen his glory, glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This light that comes and brings life came to a people that were supposed to be searching for him. And somehow they got off track. And when he came, they didn't, they didn't welcome him. And yet, those weird guys who look at stars and tell horoscopes and find meaning in the heaven recognized him and journeyed hundreds and thousands of miles to the place of his birth to honor him, to worship him. We must continually keep our eyes peeled for the signal that guides us to where we are to be so we can continue to welcome Christ. This light and life and love, if, if you don't remember anything today, here's, here's what I'd like you to take home. That Jesus' light and love and life draws the whole world in. There is no barrier. There is no barrier of any kind. There's no barrier of, of boundary marker of country to country. There is no barrier of uh, skin color or language or gender or whatever other barrier we come up with. Jesus' light, love, and life draws the whole world in. So today, you, you may be sitting here going, you know, look, I, I've been in, in church all my life. I've been a Christian as long as I can remember. Every time the doors are open, I'm here or I've been there. Like the star, we too we have an insider track now and been on here a while. We can, we can see the star and it's a signal and it guides, but, but we too can be a signal to others as, as they look and watch and see how we, we live our lives, not in, not in a showy way, not in a braggish way, but just that we're living differently, how we respond to difficult situations, how we respond to difficult people, 
How can you, how can you love that person when, when they're treating you like that? Why are you not more anxious in your situation? Our brothers and sisters in, in our community see that, and they, they will begin to ask questions. We are a signal to them. And then we have the, the responsibility and we have the privilege to be a guide. Well, why? Because, because this, this, this baby came into my life. This light who brought love and life. And this is where I found him. Come along. We're a signal and a guide. Or maybe you're sitting on the other side. Maybe you're like, hey, look, I don't know about this whole Christianity thing. I don't know about this church thing. I'm not even sure I'm supposed to be here. Maybe you're like the Magi, looking for a signal, searching for something more, something that is to come. You, this change of the year, and, and something's got to give for me. I need something more and different. Well, friends, you've come to the right place. You've come to the right place to, to experience the one who brings the light, the light of belonging and inclusion that shines on all people. You've come to a place where you can experience the love of all people, unmerited to us all and unconditional for us all. And you've come to a place where you can experience life, where all people can experience life. And not just life, not just getting by the drudgery of life day to day, but abundant life that God gives us to overcome the challenges that we face, both individually and together in community. And today we get to come to this table. This table that's a, is a reminder of Jesus for us, a, an assurance of our faith, a, a place of nourishment. Or maybe if you're coming for the first time and you're still not quite sure what this is, that it's a place of connection. Just like the Magi, we're making a connection of worship to Jesus. It's a place to encounter the divine manifestation. It's a place of salvation and it's a place of community because we come to this table together with the people in this room, the people around the world and the people that have gone, the saints have gone before us in community around this table. It's a table for all. It's a table for everyone. A table for is a place for outsiders and for insiders to experience the light and love and life that is found in Jesus the Christ. Jesus whose light, love, and life draw the whole world in.